Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Today is Tuesday, June 25th, 2019, starting at 5.19pm in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 100 or 211th episode of the show. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for July of 2019, and joining me today are Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees. Uh, hey guys, thanks for joining me. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. All right. So we it's been a month since we last caught up just after Norwalk. A lot has happened. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to spend the first hour as usual kind of catching up and talking about uh, things that have been happening in our lives and then the astrological weather over the past few weeks. And then in the second hour, we're going to get into the astrological forecast for July. So for those of you that want to skip the pre-forecast chat, just look for the timestamps in the description just below this episode, either on the podcast website or in the YouTube description below this video, and then you can jump ahead. Uh, for those of you who don't want to skip ahead and want to listen to the pre-forecast chat, then we'll get into that right now. All right, so where should we start? So I guess we should start with both Austin and I are sick with like a cold, and we both got hit by the 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 meat grinder, as they say. <laughs> Indeed. I well, uh, it, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say it is affecting slightly more healthy places in your charts. Like uh, yes. not healthy but health connected, if that makes sense. Well, it's affecting my first, which is supposed to be healthy. Um yeah, I don't really get sick. Like I got sick. Last time I got sick was about two and a half years ago. And that was in the middle of a move when I was sleeping in a house without the power on when it was below freezing on just like a, a cot every night. And uh, we were in the middle of like family or family emergency while I was sleeping alone in a freezing house. And so I got the sniffles for like a day or two. Um, and that was the last time. But the uh, the meat grinder got me. Uh, something snuck into my, my lungs and throat uh, middle of last week. And I, I thought it was allergies. And um, uh, I, I was proven wrong. <laughs> I think it was about Thursday. I did. I did one reading and I was like, okay, I'm almost dead. And I was like, all the rest of this is canceled. Yeah. Can't do it. And I'm still uh, a little symptomatic, but I don't have the fever that I had. I don't have the like weird um, hot and cold fluctuation. So I'm, you know, 90% better. Brilliant. And I was traveling for the past month and then just like came home a few days ago and promptly collapsed with a cold or a flu or something. And my voice was gone until yesterday, so it miraculously came back today. And luckily, I'm here to do this episode with you guys. But please excuse my sniffles and weird sounding voice. Otherwise, all right. So where should we start? Um, it's been—I can't believe it's been a month since we talked last. Well, oh, yeah. I can. It feels like a long. Okay. Feels like a long damn time. It feels but like it's been, been longer. But Chris, you've been—you've um, been everywhere. You've been around not the entire world, but. I don't know. You've ranged at least eight thousand miles. <laughs> where where have you been since we saw you at Norwalk? Yeah, so you, I saw you guys in Seattle, and that was the beginning of my travels. But it was only the first third of it, and then I came home for a few days to Denver at the beginning of June, and then I flew on June fifth to Romania, where I did a workshop for the Romanian Astrologers Association, which was celebrating its fifteenth anniversary. Um, of their organization while I was there. And I didn't really know what to expect, but it was actually a really amazing trip, a really amazing experience. And I met a lot of really cool people and had a great time. 
yeah, the, that was a really surprisingly amazing trip. And then from there, I went to the UK to attend the Astrological Association's annual conference for the first time, where I gave a workshop and a keynote lecture at the end of the conference. So altogether, I was traveling for 15 days, which is like a huge trip for me, or like longer than normal. And uh, yeah, I had an, an amazing experience, and I'm still processing. Nice. So, what's the uh, what's the astrological scene like in Romania these days? Yeah. So it was really interesting and unique, and that I, I didn't know going into it, but I became really fascinated by was that in Romania um, after World War II, when the communists took over, uh, astrology was pretty much suppressed in the country for the next several decades until the revolution and until things changed in the fall of. Um, Communism basically in the early 1990s and late 1980s, and then all of a sudden it was permissible again. But as a result of that, the astrologers living there had to build an astrological community up pretty much from scratch and did a really amazing job over the course of the past few decades doing so. But it was interesting seeing um, a community that was growing and thriving that literally didn't exist if you went back just a few decades prior to that. That they had to sort of like do it and invent it on their own without much help, you know, going into it. That's interesting. So, what um, what texts are standard over there? You know, because there are, we all, you know, um, for astrologers of our generation who are English speaking, there are certain books that even if you don't regard them as the final authority at this point, everybody read. Um, mm -hmm. Did you get a sense of like what people you know got their start on over there? Like what's in? Uh, do people? Uh, what language are people reading primarily over there? Sure, I mean they were getting a lot of it because you know in the 1990s it wasn't just the fall of communism but also the advent of the internet, and so they were able to start drawing on astrology that was going on in a number of different places, and it seemed like. Um, one of the main people that founded the group, Michaela Diku, um, she uh, read French and read other languages like English, and she became interested in the 1990s in older forms of astrology and started studying some of the translations of Project Hindsight. Hmm. So that was part of my connection with her was that she um, had been studying Hellenistic astrology just about as long or longer than many people in the English-speaking world. And therefore, was in incorporating a lot of that into her her astrological practice. Um, but there's, you know, I met a lot of really cool people. There was an evolutionary astrologer named Ollie that I did an interview with that I'm looking forward to releasing. There was another young astrologer named Layla who was a fan of the podcast and she listened to the podcast and had she's from Bucharest and I did an interview with her as well. So they're taking you know astrology from a number of different areas, just like any other. Contemporary astrologer is in the U.S. and you know putting it into practice and creating a sort of synthesis of all of those different threads. Interesting. Yeah, um, but it was cool meeting a lot of people that had listened to the podcast or who um, had followed things like that and um, who were fans of like you or Kelly or or everyone else. Yeah, but Super one of the cool. things that came up with that and the difference um, in terms of the languages and stuff is it, it reignited a desire for me to write a shorter version of my book to have it translated into different languages. Because mm. uh, I always wanted to have my book translated, but what I ended up creating and publishing 2017 ended up being so dense and so comprehensive 
that I always felt like it would be too much and too big of a hurdle to have it translated because there's too many footnotes and it's just way too long and detailed. So I'd been playing with the idea over the past few years of writing a shorter version of the book that was a little bit more concise and focused just on the core techniques and then having that translated into different languages because I met there were certainly like Romanian astrologers that were interested in translating it. I also met a Japanese translator in the UK that was interested in translating it. Um, and I also heard I met a, a astrologer from Greece who said my book was somewhat popular in Greece, but there were some astrologers that were only hearing about it like secondhand because it wasn't available in translation. So uh, it sort of reignited my interest in having the book translated, but I have to go through this intermediate step first of, of first writing a shorter version. Hmm. I like that. So what would you do? Take some of the more sort of practical components out um, and maybe not have the history part? Or have you not sort of thought about how you'd restructure it yet? Yeah. I mean, because the first half of the book almost is like his really detailed historical accounts that I wanted to make it okay for academics so that like an academic who's not necessarily an astrologer could pick up the book and read it and think that this is a reasonable and compelling treatment of the history of ancient astrology, but there's a lot of stuff there that's not necessary if you're just a practicing astrologer and you just want to learn the technical approach to the basics of Hellenistic astrology. So I think I'm going to write something that's just like an introduction to Hellenistic or ancient astrology. Um, and then that's not only going to be easier to translate, but it's also going to be easier for just a normal astrologer to pick up the book and read it and, and reason have a reasonable understanding of that specific approach to astrology and the pieces of it that you and I, that the three of us have incorporated into our approaches over the course of the past decade or two. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds very cool. I think the market is very hungry for something like that, where something that would act as a bridge between if you're a modern trained astrologer, what are some of the components that would be traditional or ancient astrological techniques that you could start adding into your practice um, because we know that that type of transition happens like by drip feeding. You do, you know, whether you make a house system switch or you just decide to switch rulerships, you always start by making some of those smaller shifts first and then incorporating more as you go. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I feel more comfortable doing that now that I've done the like comprehensive treatment, but it's just not necessary to have like the 50 page detailed discussion of like the house division issue. That I got into in the full book, the 2017 book. It's like I can, t I can take a little bit of that out, I think. Or well, like yeah, you've put the foundation there of like your ideas and and the the background, and now you could just do something which is about here's how you might use whole sign houses, for instance. Yeah, exactly, and just focus yeah. on the practical sort of um, parts of the book. That's so, exciting. Yeah, that's a big project. Um, I'm a little reluctant to do it because it was such a big deal to do the first book, and it's a huge hassle to publish a book. But I feel like it might be necessary at this point, so I'm going to do that. Uh, Romania was amazing. I met a lot of cool people. I'm going to release some good interviews that I did from there, including some documenting the whole revival of astrology in Romania starting in the 1990s, where I, I interviewed the two founders of the Astrological Association out there. So I'm excited to do that, and I'm trying to figure out how to translate that both for the video version and the audio version, which is a little bit tricky of a technical issue, but I'll figure it out. Yeah. And then after that, I went to uh, London. I flew to London 
and I was there for 10 days, uh, partially to attend the Astrological Association of Great Britain's annual conference for the first time, and also just to like do a bunch of interviews. I stayed in a hotel close to the Astrological Lodge of London, and I did an interview with Kim Farnell about Alan Leo and her new book on Alan Leo, which is great because it kind of completed a series of interviews that I've been doing on just the founders of modern astrology, like Dane Rudyard and uh, Evangeline Adams and different figures like that. And that one on Alan Leo was one of the final ones that I've been wanting to do for a while. Nice. Yeah. Um, but I also gave a talk at the lodge, and there's a lot of cool people um, surrounding the lodge. I also did a great interview that I'm going to be releasing on psychological astrology with John Green. Um, oh, another great interview with Wendy Stacy about um, this tendency towards people doing not just induced births, but uh, C sections, and how that often then will conform to doctors' schedules, which are like Monday through Friday, nine to five. Mm-hmm. And the effect that that's having on like birth time rates and things like that, which is kind of an interesting issue that I don't see a lot of people talking about. Yeah, that's really interesting because scheduled C sections are usually first thing in the morning, um, like between seven and ten type of thing. So a lot of them end up depending on the time of year. There's sun in the twelfth house, maybe sun in the eleventh house, in a slightly disproportionate way because that's what works for the obstetricians. Yeah. Um, and I did another interview with Israel Ajosi, who is the vice president of the Astrological Lodge of London, which was founded in like 1915 and has to be the oldest continuous astrology group that's been holding meetings in English speaking countries uh, that I know of or, or that exists. Um, so I'm excited about that. And then I also attended the Lodge or, or the Astrological Association's conference, which was really great. And there was a lot of Really high quality lectures there, so I was really impressed, not just with the organization, but with the quality of the presentations as well. Um, so yeah, all, overall it was an amazing event, and I also got to see. I I ran into this guy named Clive. I'm spacing on his last name, but I'm going to release that interview soon, where he was the guy that reprinted the edition of Lily, the Regulus edition of Lily, in 1985. And so I have this interesting interview with one of the people that sort of accidentally, in some ways, like started the traditional revival by um, reprinting William Lilly and making it accessible to a whole generation of, of astrologers starting in the late 1980s. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And he brought like a first edition of Lilly, which I got to like look through and hold, which was kind of fun. I did see that picture on Twitter and I thought I was a bit jealous. Yeah, well, uh, that was crazy. And then he, I actually got to go back to his place and look. He had a whole library of, of first edition things like Gadbury and tons of other uh, texts. So I'm excited about releasing that one here in the not too distant future and hoping to do an episode on William Lilly. And I'm starting to finally gather up some different reference books and like research that for hopefully not too long, not too long in the future. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of anything else, but I think those are my main things. Oh, yeah, the only other things were. Uh, I, I wa- mean, I have. Sorry, go. No, what were you going to say? I was going to say, did you sleep because you were teaching, you were doing interviews, you traveled halfway across the world and back again? I mean, it sounds like you were really milking every moment out of this trip. Yeah, I mean, I was really pushing it, pushing myself pretty far. And I think that's why I promptly like came home and got sick and lost my voice. 
Um, but it was definitely worth it, and I would definitely do it all over again. I had a lot of trepidation going into it actually because of some of the transits and doing it right in the middle of you know part one of the meat grinder. But I think a lot of that was just having to push myself further than I normally would in order to get the most out of the trip and do as many interviews as I could. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, like we said last month, a lot of times Mars Saturn oppositions or squares, it just means that you know, you get ground down, you have to push super hard and, and then you get sick. Yeah. Sometimes figuring out like a rubber band, like how, how far can you pull a rubber band before it like snaps? Ooh, good one. Like that. That is my analogy. Other observations from my trip, I was surprised. um, Traditional astrology was not as because the traditional revival theoretically started with the revival of Lily in the 1980s in the UK, and then only a decade later, we had Project Hindsight going further back into the Hellenistic and medieval tradition. I assumed that the traditional revival would be more um, firmly rooted or would be more widespread in the UK. And one of the things I was surprised by was it didn't seem like traditional had as strong of a foothold in the UK as I expected. And that was like an interesting observation, um, yeah, that I didn't really anticipate. So, your what you observed was that traditional, more ancient forms of astrology are not maybe as popular in the UK as they might be in, say, North America. Yeah, it almost seems like traditional has become more popular in North America than it is in the UK, and and maybe part of that is because most of the primary schools in the UK are still primarily modern. I guess. I mean, I'm, I was just trying to speculate after the fact and figuring out why that might be the case, but it was one of the things that was a little bit surprising to me because it was just a presumption that I had going into it that because the Lily thing started in the 1980s, a little bit earlier in the UK, that that would have created a much stronger foundation for that to grow. But it almost seemed like that wasn't as much of the case as I expected. And so I was a little curious why that was. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. Yeah, and I don't exactly know the answer what the why that is necessarily, but it was one interesting thing. Other interesting thing is there's a lot of great bookstores in London, and my favorite that I found was Watkins Books, um, which is just this amazing bookstore for not just their astrology section, but also for like all metaphysical and occult and other sort of quasi um, things of that nature. Uh, it was it was literally like my dream bookstore walking into that place. I think you guys would would love it as well. I am very excited to go there. I'm due to have a little trip to London just to visit with my sister who'll be there in September. So I've uh, got that on my list of places to see after your recommendation. Yeah, I've I've never been. Uh, When I was in London, it was 2001 and I wasn't as clued into things. But I have met the owner of Watkins a couple times um, via through the Esoteric Book Conference in Seattle. Oh, cool. Super Brilliant. cool. Yeah, because they do some great publishing as well. They have a whole like publishing branch that does a lot of great books, right? I believe so. Um, I, I know the, uh, I, I don't know that. Um, I, uh, this was like eight, 10 years ago. So, and I met them and some other British publishers at a Esoteric Book Conference. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah, just to so to round that out, everybody in London should take advantage of things or in the UK should take advantage of some of those local things like Watkins, like the Astrological Lodge of London, which meets every Monday and does a lot of free classes. 
And I think um, one of the things is I wanted to make people make sure people are aware of that because I get the sense that there's like younger astrologers that don't know and aren't taking advantage of always the local things that they have available to them since their immediate impulse is just to do stuff online. But it's actually really useful sometimes to go to conferences and stuff. And the same is true for Romania, that people should check out the Romanian Astrologers Association since they're organizing events, uh, I think two major conferences each year. So that was my trip. I'll keep re releasing stuff and posting um, interviews and things both on the podcast as well as some shorter interviews on my YouTube channel so people can check that out. Yeah. What is going on though with you guys? How are you, how's the, the meat grinder going for you guys? Uh, I guess we finished part one, right? Yeah, sort of. Uh, yeah, well, I would say that we're in the, I think it's fair to say maybe the sun's moving into cancer was the transition from phase one to phase two. Okay. Um, you know, for me, it was working, over scheduling myself and finally getting sick. You know, usually I can grind myself into the dirt and still not get sick. Um, and part of that, part of that hurry, hurry, do, 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 um, was finalizing the purchase of a house. And so I'll be moving in a few days and over the next couple of weeks. Wow. That's, that's huge. super exciting. Yeah. First house. So yeah. Congratulations, Austin. That's Thank like you. a massive, I mean, very adult to do, like it's a very grown up thing, but it's just a massive process to undertake. Yeah. Fortunately, it's a local move. So at least it's not, you know, we're not moving to another continent like some people are. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, it's, you know, when you have extremely busy lives and then you add a move on top of it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make things easier. Although I'm very excited to be ensconced uh, in my new uh, fortress. <laughs> I heard uh, from our common friend Cassandra that it is very well kind of protected in that it's sort of at a little bit of a top of a hill and it's got a lot of space around it so oh yeah we're will, we're out in the country you got to drive up like, a you got to drive up a, a dirt road you'll see the no trespassing signs you'll assume that you should turn around or get shot um, oh my gosh so skull and crossbones it's good that's fantastic yeah i can't believe it so you're both moving basically in the same time period over the next month because yes. Kelly, you're relocating as well. Yeah, just for fun. Uh, we thought we'd move to Belgium in Europe. Uh, right. Well, no, actually for my husband's work. Uh, yeah, so we, and we, we sort of have, well, A, when Austin, you know, termed this period, the meat grinder, and then because the move is being managed by the people who are employing my husband, uh, we didn't really have control over even our flights, like they're booking all that stuff. And uh, so smack bang right between the two eclipses, it's all sort of happening. And uh, I mean, the meat grinder is just piece of document, like government document, paperwork after government document, you know, who needs to officiate this? We need a letter from this person for that. It's, there's a lot of, if you like the Capricorn bureaucracy, um, just ticking the boxes. What is your tip for that, by the way? Like you fly those long distance flights a lot. Like, do you have a, a system worked out for that? Okay, you're going to get me to totally nerd out. I'll try okay. and do a Reader's Digest version of tips for long-haul flights. It starts, this is where my absolute nerdiness comes out. It starts with picking the plane on which you will fly. So okay. different types of planes have different levels of humidity and different levels of noise in the cabin. 
Okay. You can tell I've done this a lot, right? right. <laughs> and so the newer planes, like the um, Dreamliners, which I think is, a, yeah, the Boeing Dreamliners, the 787, the 789, they are the best ones. They're the newest planes on the market that are flying these long haul commercial routes. So trying to get on an airline that's flying one of those planes is my first step. Failing that, you know, the long 15-hour flights that I do to Australia, um, you can get on an A380, which is a big Airbus. It's like a double-decker. It's like the the most gigantic plane that flies and it can only land in certain airports because the wingspan is so big. Mm. But, yeah, the Dreamliners, it's 787-9 and sometimes colloquially known as the 789. Um, so it starts by picking the plane. And then I have a very strict no alcohol rule on planes because I firmly believe the two things that most contribute to jet lag are dehydration and lack of exposure to sunlight. So mm. there are a few um, herbal remedies that you can take in the days leading up to the flight and then during the flight and the few days after. Um, a product called Cell Food, which is like a mineral supplement that you can drop in your water, along with something called Saw Palmetto, which is a supplement that is used for a variety of things, but it actually does help with jet lag. Okay. Uh, and so I know this is really weird, but if you fly a lot, it, the, the airplanes are so drying and the noise contributes to the tiredness as well. So good right. headphones would be another uh, tip as well. Um, okay. Yeah, so I totally, um, I mean, that's probably the short version, but yeah, I'm... I, <laughs> I've done it a lot. I mean, I'm really thrown by moving to Europe because over the last 10 years, I've flown extensively between North America and Australia. So I know right. what airlines are flying what planes on what routes. And it's very quick for me to book a flight now. But doing Europe to Australia or Europe to North America, I have to learn which airlines are flying, you know, and which planes and so far, I'm not happy because I keep ending up on Delta flights, which I usually refuse to fly. So, okay. um, yeah, it's and different airlines have different levels of service. Unfortunately, a lot of the airlines that fly in North America don't have as good service as airlines that fly in Europe and in Australia. So, yeah. So there's hashtag some of my tips. House problems. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> or hashtag Great Jupiter problems, basically. Right. That's good. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean. Like London to Denver was nine hours, but you the Australia ones are like like thirteen or something, right? Fifteen. Fifteen. Plus. <laughs> wow. So it depends. I found that from Toronto, where I am in the East Coast, my favorite way to get to Australia is to go through Dallas, and Dallas to Sydney is about seventeen hours. Um, but you end wow. up on the A three eighty, and in one direction, the plane's always half empty because the cargo load is more lucrative than the passenger load. So this is what happens when you talk to the um, flight attendants at 35,000 feet, 16 hours into your flight. Yeah, nine hours is that's you're only kind of halfway over the Pacific kind of thing to go to Australia. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to have to do like a webinar with you on this at some point. Because... Yeah, you just got me one of my favorite topics. So it can be right. very boring for everyone else. <laughs> Unless everyone's having Jupiter and Sagittarius problems and needs the needs the flying tips. I mean, the other tip is Whatever extra level, like TSA pre-check, in Canada we have this thing called Nexus, anything like that that you can get that puts you in a shorter security check to get through at the airport, it's worth the effort or the money to do that. Right. Yeah. You guys did, because Austin, you did Australia just last year, right? And you did some like shortcuts in order to make things a little easier? Um, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, you just... <laughs> 
Well, no, I mean, my my, my method thing. going over was pretty good. I got wasted and then passed out for like 11 hours and woke up pretty close to Australia. Okay. I, I would recommend that. That's that a works. good. Yes, yeah, so you can sleep 11 hours on a 15 hour flight. It's going to feel very short. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really good at sleeping. Yeah. Mm, See, so. I'm jealous of you already because I don't sleep well on planes. So yeah. do you, Chris? How, I mean, how did you handle your nine hour adventure? I didn't find, realize until the way back, but on the way back, whatever the plane was had like a lot of movie, good movie selection. And I just like watched a bunch of movies and that made it pass like a lot faster than I thought it would, even though I was like in coach in the middle seat. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's my other tip. Always pay extra for the aisle seat, even if it's 60 bucks or something. Yeah, I was really kick- kicking myself when I realized what my seat assignment was, but uh, I just like caught up on mo- movies and that helped. And then promptly like collapsed once I got home. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Flight anyway, tips. Anyway, so so you're both moving. Um, that's really weird. It is. I mean, you're you're both born so close together. Like I can't get over that and how similar your charts are in some ways, but how different they are. Even though you're only born, what is it like three weeks apart or something? No, it's like a week. A week. Oh one yeah, week one week, apart. eight, seven, or eight days. I was like aging. I was separating us by more than we should be separated. <laughs> Yeah, it's moon in moon in Pisces, moon in Gemini. Yeah, that's how far apart we are. Okay, and th- so this is the, the last podcast that you'll be doing in both of your respective locations. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, my little cathedral of strangeness that everybody's probably used to seeing behind me will be no more shortly. Yeah, yeah do you know I- what? Do you know what your office like, space is going to be like in the new house, Austin? No, I haven't seen the house. No, I mean, but if you picked. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> of course you're teasing. Yeah, um, yeah. Like you've, you've kind of got the layout of where it's going to be and everything. Yeah, I'm not sure which, uh, what, uh, I have an idea. I have two ideas as to what direction the desk is going to be facing. Uh, but I kind of need to be in the space and feel how it is to work there um, before it's permanent. But yeah, we, we've designated um, a particular room for my office. I'm just... There are a couple different ways I could arrange it. I'm, I I kind of need to be there and like see the furniture and the bookshelves and whatnot before I'll be certain. Um, but but I do know where I'm it. going to at least put the desk at first, and then we'll see. Cool. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing both of your your lighting uh, in both cases. I know. Have you seen famous. yours, Kelly? Yeah, yeah, because we have we we know where we're actually technically the lease on the apartment we'll be moving into has already started, um, mm. and yeah, so I, it's going to be a smaller space and the lighting. I'm not sure how that's going to work. So, uh, yeah, and again, similarly, I don't know where the desk is going to go because it's smaller and the internet. I've got to f- make sure that you know all of those things. So, and Austin, I mean. I totally feel what you're saying. Like I need to get in there and just get a vibe for it. And you can't really commit to that. I can't commit to that until I'm like this. Oh, I thought this was going to feel good, but actually this arrangement feels better. So we're going Yeah, I don't know. I don't, some people have that type of spatial intelligence where they can visualize all the things being in a space and then, and then place themselves in that uh, imaginary space and feel that I can do that with certain things, but I can't do that with space. Hmm. I, Kate, Kate's, uh, Kate probably has a much better ability to do that than I do. She has lots of plans for her her sphere and sundry space. Yeah, because it's quite an expansion for her. 
Uh, well, there's a lot more room. Uh, yeah. The yeah, that's what the, I mean. Like the, the inventory has been expanding on its own. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, and so now that there now there'll be a container that is uh, more suited to being filled with it rather than just spilling out uh, and into and colonizing the rest of the house as it the has house. been. Oh my god. Love it. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, for both of you, and I guess we'll see it on the next forecast, which we'll record at the end of July. Yeah, it will be the post meat grinder uh, edition of the podcast. Thank awesome. Goodness. Well, speaking of meat grinder, why don't we check in since we're halfway through it? Uh, if there's anything um, that we've noticed or seen up to this point, uh, what have you guys been seeing? Well, I've actually seen an, a lot of people having to move, um, and not uh, not in every case for uh, the same sort of happy reasons that I that I'm getting to move or that uh, that Kelly is moving for. A lot of people looking for you know like oh shit I have to be out of my place by the end of the month. Um, I've seen a lot of, I've gotten reports a lot of like sudden passings, a lot of sudden deaths. There was one story, which I won't tell in detail, uh, that involves someone losing their fingers um, and another person biting, severing the end of their tongue. You know. So you had uh, some very literal observations, Austin, about, I don't even know what's the word, the, like I guess the cutting version. Yeah, there, there were some very literal ones that came my way. I didn't go looking for those, by the way. That was just um, what I encountered. And, um, you know, and there's just the feel of it and the feel has been not amazing, but, um, one thing that I'm, oh, I guess happy to see is that people have understood, um, oh, the, you know, there are, there are some rough configurations coming up. I will, you know, prepare myself to do that well, rather than sort of, you know, waiting glumly like a death row prisoner for something terrible to happen. You know, because that's the point of talking about things ahead of time is to get a sense of yeah. like, oh, that's going the there's a there's an excellent chance that that is going to be harder. Let me see what tools I have for when the going gets rough um and uh and you know and be prepared with those. And it seems like a lot of people have taken it that way, which is the not only the most effective way to do it, but also the spirit in which you know, uh, sharing that that news was intended. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's super important because all of us, like one of the things with all three of us, if is we've continued to live our lives and like do important things even during what we've articulated on like the yearly forecast was the most difficult part of the year. Mm. So it's like you don't just stop living your life even though the astrology is difficult. Sometimes you still have to do things even despite that and. Uh, that's something I, I sometimes worry about when we talk about like what is the most challenging looking set of alignments in a certain part of the month or a certain part of the year is that people will, you know, get like frightened by that or somehow like avoid doing anything during those times. But that's not necessarily the lesson, or that's not necessarily supposed to be like the thing that we're trying to convey, per se, right? Yeah, it's more like just. I guess, be aware or have that understanding that things will require more effort or you might feel more pressured, particularly with if we use the the meat grinder and the Mars, Saturn, Pluto sort of drama. It's, yeah, I mean, I knew I've been teaching, I've been seeing clients, I've been, you know, doing my workouts and there's just been a little bit more pressure. I've definitely had that feeling of like, okay, what's the schedule today? Planning has been so much more important for me that, 
there has been such a consistent steady stream of things to do that actually some of my time management skills have gotten a tiny bit better in that I'm taking that time the day before to sit down and plan out, you know, what are the first three or four things that I need to attend to tomorrow so that when I get up, instead of wasting time trying to make a decision, I just get up and start working through the list. Yeah, that's like. been huge, actually. Um, I've found that during, we could say, idle time, yeah. um, where I'm like, what do I feel like, you know, what should I do? What do I feel like doing? The answer is, I don't know. Um, mm. And then it sort of spirals down from there. And I, I think that this, uh, so to kind of go inside the anatomy of the meat grinder, Mars is in a, v Mars is the planet that is in the most, has been in the most difficult space. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mars and Cancer where it doesn't love being and then getting beat up by Saturn and Pluto and confused by the nodes. And so whereas Saturn, although Saturn's in a complicated position, is in Capricorn, it's in a position of great dignity. And so I've found that just kind of rolling with Saturn, being like, okay, here's the schedule, do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, there are other times where if you lead with Mars, it works great. Whereas I found leading with Mars, like, okay, what do I want to do um, during this period of time has been um, a, a big no. And I, I've caught myself in that multiple times. Um, and the answer is, you know, just been like, okay, well, what's on the calendar? Uh, and yeah. that's actually been a big, a big saving grace. It's been, I found it really clarifying. It's like, you don't have to muck about with, you know, all the things or trying to please people or saying yes to everything. It's just, this is what we've scheduled to do. So we can't do anything else. Um, and I realized too, I, I don't know if I've talked about this with you guys yet. About a week before the Mars Saturn opposition, like the sort of the, one of those key parts of the meat grinder, I just decided I was going to take three days off and go and visit Cassandra, who was going to be down in San Diego. Oh, yeah. I saw that you just like randomly flew to San Diego to catch Cassandra's talk. Yeah. And for me personally, the meat grinder, I've got Capricorn 11th house, Cancer 5th house. So there's been a lot going on around the friendships and, you know, wanting to spend time with people that are really special to me especially knowing that we're going to be moving away from our group of friends here and, and in some ways further from our friends in Australia. So I don't even know where this idea, it just came over me. I never take time off work, you know, in that sort of unexpected, but I was very easily able to reschedule a bunch of clients and got a decent price flight, found a, a decent Airbnb and just went to the beach for four or five days and on the meat grind, like the Mars sat in opposition on the 14th, I was actually swimming in the Pacific Ocean, which is a heavenly, it's, it's absolutely the place that I like to worship is swimming in the Pacific Ocean. So very weirdly, I did some fifth house, 11th house stuff kind of unexpectedly. Nice. I like thing. that. Yeah. So yeah, something that about boundaries and yeah. That sense of spontaneity. I don't know why that was kind of like an element for me during that time as well, where usually I like to plan everything out, especially with like the podcast. I do these really extensive outlines before interviewing somebody, and we usually stick the outline pretty closely, sometimes too closely. Uh, but in my entire trip, especially in London and everything else, I did everything on the fly, and it just sort of worked um, despite doing many things at the last moment and leaving it sort of up in the air. Everything just sort of worked itself out without having to plan it out in advance as much as I might otherwise. And I'm not entirely sure why that is, but I also was kind of riding a similar wave. I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just any any spontaneity about- spontaneity for you, Austin? I mean, I had to cancel appointments because I was sick. <laughs> That's not as sure. much fun, <laughs> right? Um, but no, I don't really. Um, pretty much all day, every day has been spoken for. Like I haven't taken a day off in a month. So because yeah. there's you know there's stuff to do every day. Yeah. Every single day. I also want to give a shout out to um, the meat grinder baby. Oh, yeah. Who arrived safely around the middle of the month. So one of our listeners, you know, earlier in the year sort of announced, oh, their baby was going to be due uh, right in the, the meat grinder period. And uh, and the baby did arrive safely. So they, they, I think you guys saw that tweet on Twitter. Yeah, I believe um, Moon and Jupiter and Sagittarius. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yes. Is that that ended up being it? Was the moon in Jupiter and Sagittarius? I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um. So it was just so exciting. I don't know. I love babies. Yeah. I think yeah. that was Wol- Wolf Marnell, right? Yeah, Tarot Wolf on Twitter, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that he had the onesie made up that said. Like, That's meat right. Grinder. Yes. Um, the um the meat grinder baby onesie. So. I don't know. I just feel like that's yeah. really cool. Well, yeah. and I appreciated you sharing last month very briefly, Austin, that you have a meat grinder in your chart. You have a Mars oh, yeah. Saturn opposition. Yes. With the nodes. Right. With the nodes. Yeah, exactly. And, and the sun and T squaring the moon. So I thought that was great, Austin, that you show, just to say that, that you're like a lived embodiment of this and there are many productive things that can happen. Yeah, like I this. can I can grind some meat. <laughs> Actually, very efficient. I'm more of the hand crank model, but the old school, no shortcuts. So, meat grinder phase one done. Now eclipses. Yeah. Um. And there's any. There's one last thing. I mean, in the news, of course, like we're all paying attention to a lot of like the weird um, brinkmanship with Iran intensifying around this time with like Trump and. Some of the weird stuff going on with Iran and everybody basically just like praying that he doesn't, they don't start a war uh, during this time. But it did seem like some of that was intensified uh, around the time of that opposition going exact between Mars and Saturn, right? Yep. Yeah. Were there any yeah. other things like that in the news going on? Well, that seemed to be the one that kind of has flared up the most. Okay. Um, so that was part one. And now we've passed. Mars and Mercury are now getting towards the end of Cancer as we're recording this on June 25th, and we're getting ready to move into the next phase of that, uh, part two, basically, which is centered in July and early July, right? It basically runs until late July. Yeah. Okay. Would, would you say until the sun gets into Leo? Yeah, I would maybe even say until the, um, the new moon in Leo. Yeah, that is, by the time we get to that... Everything is so different astrologically. Okay. So maybe, so are we transitioning anyway, then? Should we transition? I know we're forecast? getting ahead, Chris. Sorry. No, I it was so. fine. I, I just realized in setting that up that it was basically t- taking us right into the forecast. Before we do that, we were going to do promos before we like transition. Should mm-hmm. we do that and then jump into the forecast? Sure. What do you guys have going on? Okay. Let's do it. So, Austin, what do you have coming up? Well, so it doesn't start until August 8th, um, but enrollment is open for an 11-week class on the relationship between astrology and tarot uh, that I'll be teaching between August 8th and October 17th. 
Um, and so sign up there is on my website. That's uh, it's an online class. We'll meet once a week and talk about astrology and tarot. Um, that sounds a little, <laughs> it's actually That's... quite uh, structured. That sounds like a, a loose chat. Um, we'll be going through, you know, the minor arcana and the major arcana and different, uh, different ways that the, um, people have connected the language, the visual language of tarot to the signs and planets and decans of astrology. And that's something, I don't know, people have been trying to get me to talk about for a while. Um, and there, there are elements of that in 36 faces. Um, but I finally, you know, thought what the hell and scheduled a class on it this year. Uh, let's see. Um, the Venus and Taurus series that I elected for Sphere and Sundry is out now. And then um, I didn't elect anything for Sphere and Sundry in July uh, because Meat Grinder. Um, mm -hmm. But there are some, some fine elections in August. So there'll be a, a, uh, there'll be a flurry of activity. Um, as far as that goes in August. Other than that, um, my yearly classes are running. I'm not open for new consultations right now. That's all I got going. You were out here actually four years ago, this time of the year for a tarot conference because a tarot conference was happening in Denver. They invited you out to speak because of your book on the Deccans. And that was how you ended up doing the forecast with Austin, with me and Kelly because mm -hmm. you were staying over near my house and we just like invited you in randomly one day. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's yeah, you guys were scheduled and uh, I don't know, Chris, I think you were like, Hey, what the hell? Why don't you, you know, uh, yeah. why don't you, why don't you guest on this first on Austin? Right. Anyway, just funny anecdote about you and your connection with tarot. Cause I didn't know until that conference that you'd been studying tarot just as long as you'd been studying astrology. So you go back pretty far with both subjects. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I read cards on a, I don't know a couple times a week at least for myself. And there was a question on on what deck that I'll be using, uh, and it'll be focused on the uh, the Coleman Smith deck, also okay. known as the Rider Waite Smith deck. Yeah. Um, I, I it would be too much to to make it universal, but that is the most influential in the English speaking world. And it is the one that I'm most familiar with and currently use. Brilliant. Uh, okay. So people can find out more information about that on your website, which is austincopic.com. And I'm sure they'll see links to it there on the homepage. Uh, Kelly, what do you have going on? I have just one event coming up in July, which is an eclipse webinar for Astrology University uh, on July the 6th, Saturday, July 6th, uh, I'll be a panelist with Kenneth Miller uh, and we'll just be talking about the eclipses, uh, Saros series, eclipse cycles, uh, all of the juicy things that you need to uh, make the most of these mid-year eclipses. Awesome. That sounds really good. So you can find out more information. That's with Astrology University, but you can find out about it on your website, which is kellysastrology.com, right? Yes, thank you. Yeah, the sign up info is on my homepage for that now. And so and you're then, doing that with, sorry, Kenneth Miller? Yes. And is it just you two? I think so. There's going to be a moderator. Um, we're just not sure exactly who that's going to be at this time. Um, yeah, I don't want to say it and then have it not be the person that I think it's going to be. Uh, yeah, so we're just going to have a, a bit of a chat about 
eclipses, the concept of eclipses. Obviously, he's got, got the Indian background, so we'll be able to do a bit of an east-west uh, look at the eclipses. Nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, what's the date on that again? Uh, July 6th, sorry. Okay, It'll cool. be 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Brilliant. I love me some Kenneth Miller, and he. I'm trying to get him back on the show again soon to do a talk about the Avanajataka and how much it relies on Greek astrology versus how much it's an independent development of indigenous Indian astrology that we've been meaning to do for a while. Yeah. yeah, I saw I saw his I attended his talk at UAC on that subject and I thought it was very interesting. I'm you excited. He, he made a compelling the curry argument. in my spice in my curry or pepper in my curry one or something. Feta. Feta in my curry. Yeah. That was, um, that was yeah. clever. He has yeah, one for they, cl- clever titles. Yeah, there there were a lot of points that were very compelling. We're just uh just looking at um an analysis of the content of the Yavanashataka. He's like, okay. So is there, you know, like looking at the divisional charts in the Yavanajataka just, and just asking, is there any precedent for this in extant Greek material versus is there, does this look exactly like every Indian text ever? And it's like, well, yeah, there's pretty much no precedent for it in the, you know, there's no D9 or there's maybe a vague reference to what might be a D9 in Firmicus, but that's it. Um, so just looking at a, a content analysis and then looking for precedents in the other Greek um, material made made a really strong case. And there are other things, but um, but yeah, I, I was um, yeah, uh, I found it quite compelling. I'll just say that. I'm glad you're having him on. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I had read an article on the plane to San Diego uh, that made a bit of a jab at the origins of Indian astrology. And I brought it up with Kenneth when I was in San Diego. And uh, he mentioned that you and he were talking about coming back, him having him coming back on the show to talk about uh, some of the beginnings. Yeah, we've just been trying to figure out how to do it carefully and respectfully, because it's a very delicate issue. And people get very have very strong opinions about the subject either way. So we wanted to figure out a way to do it without getting like death threats. I think so. it'll be amazing when you guys get to that point. So I look forward to that. Okay. All right. So people can find out more information about that webinar that you're doing at kellysastrology.com. Uh, let's see. For me, main thing that I'm doing, aside from just recovering and releasing all the interviews that I did in Romania and the UK, is I'm going to be re- uh, raising the price of my course on Hellenistic astrology at the end of July. So I realized I was looking around and realizing like how underpriced my courses are compared to pretty much everybody else, which is something that I do periodically and like periodically you guys sit me down and have like an intervention and and are like, you know, you're I'm charging. I'm so happy you had an insight about that. Yeah. Uh well, I remember years ago when you guys sat me down at like a Norwalk and were like you are not charging enough for your consultations and need to raise the prices. Um and I appreciated that. So I periodically have that realization every once in a while. Good. Uh, so, yeah, I want to raise the price also in order to be able to integrate more of a live component as well as like be able to devote more time to like working with students and the amount of t- amount that I've been charging for it just hasn't been enough to allocate for that. So, I think I'm just going to raise a little bit in order to make up for that and be able to focus more on doing teaching in addition to doing the podcast since those are the two primary things that I do and love at this point in time. So people can find out more information about the course. It's like a very comprehensive course. It's got over a hundred hours of video lectures, 
uh, just like some of the ones that you've seen on the podcast, but with much more detail where I use hundreds of chart examples to teach people uh, my approach to ancient astrology. Uh, and you can find out more information about that at courses.theastrologyschool.com. So basically, if you sign up anytime between now and the end of the month, um, you'll basically get a discount because you'll get in for the lower price rather than what I'll be raising it to after that point. Let's see. That's fantastic. Uh, the only other promo thing is just a reminder about the Baltimore uh, NCGR mm-hmm. Astrology Conference. That's the next big astrology conference that's coming up, and that's August 30th through September 3rd, 2019, Labor Day weekend in Baltimore, Maryland. And you can find out more information about that at geocosmic.org. All right. I think that's all the promos. Shall we transition into planetary alignments for July? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So as we were saying, um, we are through, by the time we get to the end of June, we've completed part one, basically, of what Austin has lovingly dubbed the meat grinder and has taken off um, as the, the primary phrase that we're using to describe the alignments of June and July. And we're moving now into part two, which begins pretty promptly, like right at the beginning of July, right? Yeah, well, they're part of the reason that one of the titles I proposed was Meat Grinder is that it was just sort of thing after thing, and that there was like, oh, okay, this and then this, oh, okay, and then this, right? Yes. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, some rough stuff for two weeks. So the the Mars-Mercury opposite Saturn-Pluto on the nodes bit leads into the first uh, our first eclipse our first proper eclipse in cancer which is the solar eclipse on uh, Tuesday July 2nd and then um, a week later we get mercury stationing retrograde conjunct mars and then a week later we get the uh, the uh, the lunar eclipse in capricorn with saturn and pluto and so the, it's really that 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 is the the cartography of meat grinder phase 2 Gotcha. So Mars, the the Mercury retrograde conjunct Mars, and Mars moving into Leo, and then the eclipses, the the total, the solar and then lunar eclipse taking place on the Cap- Cancer and Capricorn axis. Mm-hmm. Okay, brilliant. And um, very juicy. And this starts like right away because we can see that Mars ingresses on July first into Leo. So at least that phase of it where. Because it seemed like Mercury had conjoined Mars, and that was like the the height or the very like pinnacle of of the phase one of the meat grinder when Mercury conjoined Mars and Cancer, opposing Saturn and Pluto. But then phase two is Mercury slows down and stations retrograde just a few days into the month uh, on July sixth, July seventh, and Mars catches up to and conjoins it on the same day. Yeah. So part of what we're dealing with here is a Mercury retrograde that's already been queued up for a few weeks because I think it actually entered its shadow um, around what, like 22, 23 degrees of Cancer? Mm-hmm. It's been there for a while already. A little while already. Okay. So that means that some of, the, some of what's going to take place during this upcoming Mercury retrograde was already queued up or was put into place over the past few weeks starting from like mid-June onwards? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's also worth noting that um, during one of the nice things about phase one um, is that even though we had Mars right on that axis, which is a real pain in the ass, 
Uh, Venus was completely off axis over there in Gemini and configured only to Jupiter and Neptune. Whereas uh, for a lot of phase two, Venus will be in Cancer Mm -hmm. uh, and subject to the the churning uh, on that Cancer Capricorn axis. So, yeah, it's 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 a different topography for part two, but it's it's really focused primarily on that same camp, same Cancer Capricorn axis. Okay. And did we get some like some of this was queued up earlier this year, six months earlier, when we had uh, the first set of eclipses, or at least one part of the eclipse in Capricorn on like January fifth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had our yeah. first. Yeah, we had a. We had a solar eclipse in uh, in Capricorn, um, right around Saturn on the south node. Yeah, around fifteen Cap. And that was when the Marie. That was basically right around when the Marie Kondo special aired on Netflix, and everybody yeah. went uh, clean out crazy, which I thought was crazy. just the most appropriate thing possible for that Saturn south node Pluto eclipse. And I've seen that theme. Um, I've seen that theme um, over and over and over again since, and I can, uh, I can, you know, and for me, some of that is inevitable um, because we're moving house, right? And it's like, well, what do you want to keep? What's worth keeping, right? Big question. Um, Well, same for us, Austin, because when you're thinking about shipping some of your stuff halfway around the globe, you really do think differently about <laughs> what do you need and what is like, it, if it's so important that you want to ship it, great. But if it's not so important that you don't want to ship it, why do you even have it, basically? Right. Is this worth X amount of dollars to ship Correct. halfway around the world? Yeah, it really gets you back to the core. You know, you don't want any excess, except for the books. All the books are allowed. <laughs> Right, right. Well, maybe not all, but all the good books. Yeah. I actually, I have some boxes that are labeled, um, you know, for charity. I'm like, I am not ever going to read this again. Uh, I can't throw it out. I can't throw out a book. That's, um, I don't know. No, I I definitely do not. Yeah. The books get passed on or donated. They they never go near a garbage bin. Never. That's that's sacrilege. I feel like that's, yeah, sacrilege. And then also- um, you know, uh, I, you know, I've mentioned a couple times in the podcast, my, my grandma passed about mm-hmm. two months ago now. And so um, that whole side of the family has been has been um, clearing out her house so that it can go up on the market. And that house hasn't been cleared out since she and uh, my grandpa bought it in 1960. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So there's almost, yeah, there's almost uh, 70 years of stuff in there um that's some purge yeah the um i remember i was helping when i was down there uh a month and a half ago and you know we were like cracking open closets that hadn't been cracked open in a decade or two and i i remember i found a, a box of old letters and there were literally even the bugs had died the bugs <laughs> that had been eating the letters were were dead for two decades and I was like, okay, that's the the time depth that we're dealing with. And I've wow. uh, I've seen that as just a, a theme with people in general uh, and myself. For me, it's been like clearing out obligations. Like, okay, like that's why I shut down consultations. I was like, I've already got a fuck ton of consultations booked. Let me do all these and let me catch up with the past and then 
I will open up and take more on. Um, Let's see. um, uh, Tons of uh, people clearing out and clarifying their relationship to ancestry and lineage stuff. You know, sort of what's in everybody's closet is where you came from and where those people came from and where those, you know, where grandparents and great grandparents and great, 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 as far back as you want to go. Um, and so to a certain degree, this is a little bit of uh, a, one part of what what people are going to be graded on uh, during uh, phase two of the meat grinder is how are you doing on whatever your clear out work is that you got assigned at the beginning of the year? That's a really yeah. beautiful way of summarizing how July kind of links back to the January period. Yeah. So it's like bouncing back and forth between Cancer and Capricorn and this idea of what to keep, which is like more of a Cancer and Mm -hmm. the inclusive nature of the moon, uh, which is like collecting things and bringing things together versus what to reject, what to get rid of, which is more of a Capricorn Saturn type signification, which is excluding things. Um, yeah. That's a really great set of keywords for these two solar eclipses coming up at the beginning and middle of of July in Cancer and Capricorn. Thank you. I would also say this is. Uh, I would also point out that our solar eclipse in Capricorn, or excuse me, our solar eclipse in Cancer, Cancer. which yeah. begins July, will be our first proper eclipse on the North Node side of um, North Node in in Cancer and South Node in Cap. And so the South Node's big on cleaning out and letting go. And the North Node, you know, to a certain degree, there's, um, we've sort of gotten the assignment to make space. Um, And there's a logic to that when things are cluttered, you're like, oh, yeah, I do need to make space. But then if you succeed in that, what do you bring into or what do you fill the space that you have created? And I and I I believe that the solar eclipse in Cancer will help to clarify that question. That's a beautiful yeah. I mean that idea of what needs to come in, what you want to water or start to build up. I guess in the in the void or the space that you've spent the last six months creating. Right. Or so let's do a garden metaphor. So you've done a lot of weeding. So what do you (laughs) want to plant? Exactly. And right. you know, plant selection is very important. It's got to fit the uh, conditions: sun, water, etc. Can't just plant anything. Not everything will grow everywhere. No. Right. I we like have that. some. So, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna. So, so July second is that solar eclipse that's taking place in Cancer at ten degrees. Ten degrees of Cancer. Yes. Spot on. All right, and then when is the lunar eclipse in Capricorn? July 16. Yeah. Okay. And that feels like I, I, look, this is just my sort of feeling or sense about it. There is a level of excitement or that idea of getting a, a sense of the future with that new moon eclipse in Cancer. The full moon or lunar eclipse does have more of the the churning, grinding, releasing feel because it is uh, such a potent, it's not just the regular monthly moon in Capricorn, it, It's it's got that zap from the eclipse there yeah well and so uh, one one point worth making about the uh, the eclipses is um it doesn't mean that it's a great like for example i i said oh yeah that uh that solar eclipse in cancer 
will help clarify, you know, what to plant. It doesn't mean it's a good day for planting. It no, means that it op- it like initiate it like opens that gate um, that uh, begins the process of oh this is probably what I should you know like that there's a uh, it begins the idea of planting or the idea of filling that space. It's something that mm, how should we say it opens the door to the process by which you might attain clarity about what to bring in. Um, if you think you have it figured out ahead of time and want to do it on that date, then that's probably not correct because you have it like we literally haven't gotten to the point where that's going to become clear. I, mm. I would say just, you know, wait through this Mercury retrograde, like listen, I would say listen to the Mercury retrograde, listen to the uh, to the eclipses and, you know, and move with them. But um, it's uh, because of because a configuration does something or facilitates a process doesn't mean that it's an ideal election for something of that type. Does that distinction make sense to y'all? Yeah, absolutely. So wait for the ideas and the insights to come through near the eclipse and and see what the Mercury retrograde reveals, but don't be rushing to start, you know, running down those paths full tilt until later in the month. Yeah. What is the deal with that though, from an electional standpoint, just with eclipses? Because I see a lot of astrologers say don't start things on eclipses and i've always been curious why that is because it seems like eclipses often are important markers and turning points where people do begin or complete something and they're clear like bookends in people's lives for beginnings and endings it seems like yeah they're much better for endings in the sense that things tend to end on them i mean mm. they're they're literally um compromising the light of the 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 sun and the moon, which are mm. the tent poles of time, there, um, you know, it doesn't mean that if something happens on an eclipse that it's going to be necessarily a disaster. Um, but there's really no reason to pick an eclipse to do something. I think of a friend of mine who started a job last year on an eclipse, um, and that was just kind of how it had to go. And it wasn't that it was a terrible job. But he's already switched into a new position because that company had issues and they da 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 da. And so it just didn't end up lasting. Um, and so that's what you see with a lot of eclipse elections. Um, mm. is like you said, Chris, they're um they're they're demarcators of often sudden change, um, sudden and significant change. And so right. if you're doing something that you would like, for example, you're taking you're starting a job that you would like to have for more than 11 months, then you don't want to anchor it to a signifier of powerful and often beyond your control change. Sure. I've just seen, it's like with lunations, you see people at a new moon and a full moon start things or bring things to completion. And the eclipses themselves sometimes are just like amped up lunations that have longer term ramifications for the next six months so that people sometimes carry themes over not just for a month at like a solar eclipse lunation but sometimes for like six months where it can affect things during a six month time span and i can see why during this specific eclipse why we would want to tell people to be a little bit more wary because of the mercury retrograde conjunct mars at the beginning of july coinciding with the solar eclipse that things initiated during this time might be subject to revision um, as during any Mercury retrograde. 
um i've always i've just never been as comfortable with the like full on ban on starting new things around the time of eclipses than i feel like is commonly recommended in most astrological like electional rules today i'm totally comfortable with it i think um we're literally just crossing off four days a year, um, which is, you know, there are four eclipses a year. So don't use those four days a year for your elections. Um, I've never seen an eclipse election work great. I've seen a number of them work terribly. Do it the day before or after if you're super excited about it. Um, I'm super comfortable with it. Okay. I like it. So different perspectives there on whether we should be starting things on the new moon eclipse in Cancer or not. And uh, we'll have to let our listeners give us some feedback about their experiences. Yeah, well, this is definitely not one to experiment with when, you know, Mercury's stationing retrograde conjunct Mars <laughs> at the same Mars? time. Yeah, oh yeah. my goodness, that's, yeah, that's got a very kind of foot in mouth kind of outbursty feel July 7th and 8th. Yeah, and it's not just Mercury stationing retrograde, and then Mars comes up and overtakes it, which is really um, unusual, unique, and, and doesn't happen very frequently at all. But um, one of the listeners who's joining yeah. us for the live chat, Matt Davis, points out that Mercury is squaring Uranus at the same time. Yep. So there's this yep. whole other element that's that's thrown in the mix. Yeah, and we've got Mars square Uranus for a while. That's the like that whole sort of second week of July is when we're. Yes, the eclipses are going, but the second week of July, we're kind of between the eclipse dates and we've got the Mercury, Mars, Uranus kind of mashup coming in that week. Right. So here it is. So Mercury stations by, let's say, the 5th or no, seventh. sorry, Mercury stations by the 7th of July at four degrees of Leo and Mars catches up to it and conjoins it at four degrees of Leo and around the same time. Uranus has made it all the way to six degrees of Taurus at this point, where it's squaring the two of those pretty closely. So, and then what you were both pointing out is that so then Mars, because it's not moving super fast, I guess it's moving somewhat fast, but it, it is then squaring Uranus for the next several days. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be, there's some volatility in that. I mean, the, re the, the internal desire of increased restlessness or, resistance to restriction is going to be pretty strong. And I think with Mercury basically stationed for most of the week, it, there's going to be some some frustration or that idea of maybe hitting some roadblocks, wanting freedom, wanting change, but not being able to make it as quickly, make it happen in the way you want or on the timeline that you prefer. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's dead on. So just, yeah, kind of deep breaths for that second week. Yeah, well, and like, so these configurations are kind of a mess, but it's just a couple of weeks. It is. And it's not, as we were saying earlier, you know, it's not the end of the world. Life's going to continue. I'm doing something that week that I have never done before. I am flying to Europe, which is only an eight hour flight, but <laughs> we're bringing our two pets, our two, two, our two cats are coming on the plane with us in the cabin. So that's going to be a whole different version of, um, wild and crazy is <laughs> taking a long plane trip with your cats. That's hilarious. So are your cats vocal when they travel? Look, one of them is, and one of them is just a shy, quiet thing. So I, I am a little bit sort of not concerned, but I'm wondering whether my vocal girl is going to be, you know, just talking for eight hours, basically. Dude, our, our kitty will meow the entire time he is in a car. 
no matter how long the ride. Oh my goodness. See, our cats, so Merlin is my, my one of, both our cats are girls. Um, anyway, I know Merlin's name is a little unusual. We've only ever taken them to the vet, which is like five minutes down the street, but she will meow the whole time. So I'm just worried <laughs> about her meowing for like Is there hours. like some kitty Valium or something you give them? Yeah, look, we're going to see the vet next week because they have to have, I mean, part of the government paperwork we're dealing with is, you know, the paperwork to travel with your pets internationally. So I'll get a, ch- I think there's like a mild antidepressant type thing that you can give them that just tones down their mind a little bit, but- <laughs> Um, I mean, as we're saying this, of course, I it haven't just, really... It tones down their mind. <laughs> their mind a little bit, just to calm them mildly. Um, the Mercury Mars station, of course, is in my sixth house. So that this makes complete sense, basically. Meow. Did you just say meow? Yeah. <laughs> as one of the, the listeners pointed out, you know, it's a Mercury Mars station or it's yeah. a Mercury Mars conjunction in Leo, the yes. only feline sign. Correct. So it's all about my girls having everything they need. Oh yeah, we have uh, the pheromones, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll be doing every. I mean, if anyone wants to write me after and tell me more tips, please do. Um, we've got the pheromones and the rescue remedy. Uh, but anyway, that's that's really week two. So for you guys, so Austin, is there any you guys like concrete? Be- your concrete advice was just like take a breath, Kelly, with this Mercury Mars conjunction because it's so it's such a unique thing like any one of these would be a thing unto itself like mercury mars and being careful not to get into like a verbal like altercation with somebody yeah or, play it safe um, on social media right like don't get into an argument or don't let yourself get carried away in an argument or mercury retrograde like a mercury retrograde station and sometimes like a miscommunication happening and maybe thinking that something happened or or thinking that um, I don't know, somebody blew you off or something, but f- realizing later that it was just a technical snafu and yeah. therefore uh, not to be misled by something like that. And then finally, we have like a Mercury-Uranus square at the same time. So like an unexpected sometimes disruption or an unexpected uh, communication. Um, and then a Mars-Uranus square at the same time. Uh, what's our keyword for like a Mars-Uranus square? powder keg um mars i mean that's where i think the restlessness comes from and mars uranus people can feel so impatient that they move prematurely or they you know make reckless potentially choices the flip side though it really depends i think on your your individual makeup because if you're a very sort of air fire chart or maybe you've got a lot in the early degrees of fixed signs you could be lit up really quickly and then for people who tend to have charts that respond more slowly, sometimes you need something quite high energy like this to actually prod them into taking action. So it's, I guess it's contextual in terms of how frustrating it might be for an individual personally. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes it could be like a unexpected but healthy sudden um, choice to make an action that ends up being disruptive, but maybe in a good way and disrupting previous patterns in your life that were uh, maybe needed to be disrupted. Yeah. Yeah. Another way that uh, we can look at the, the, the Mars, Mercury, Square, Uranus is 
Um, you know, we have two slower moving things, or two more quickly moving things, Mars and Mercury activating a very slow moving thing, which is uh, Uranus and Taurus. And so, you know, if there's been a change pending, um, you know, a, a larger change that's kind of been making itself more and more clear in terms of its need to happen, this Mars Mercury is likely going to kick that off or catalyze it. Right. Totally. I've seen that. I have a Taurus rising person I know who is making like a huge change in their life where they're moving. Again, it's another relocation, but it's going to be centered on this specific like configuration at the beginning of July, but it's like moving where they haven't relocated in like 20 years or something like that. So it's a huge, somewhat sudden that's only happened over the past few months since Uranus went into their rising sign, into their first whole sign house, but then it's almost getting triggered and they're pulling the trigger in sort of coordination with this alignment of Mars squaring that Uranus and sort of like activating it in some way in their first. Nice, nice. Although I guess actually, actually, technically, now that I think about it, if they have Taurus rising, then Mars and Mercury are of course going to be transiting through their fourth whole sign house at that time. So that makes even more sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's I'm, sorry. Go, Austin. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say the uh, the catalyzing changes which have been building for a while. Um, is a theme that we're seeing not only with Uranus being activated, uh, but also the eclipses. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we haven't had, um, we've only had one eclipse on this Cancer Capricorn axis so far. And so, as I said before, this is the first time we get, we really get the Cancer side moving. Um, and this same axis was loaded up or stirred up by phase one of the meat grinder with Mercury and Mars going through it. And so, you know, what I've been seeing and, and thinking um, is that this pair of eclipses, in addition to the Uranus activation, it's a lot of like, uh, there's going to be a lot of things which have been in the works for a while actually happening, like actually that energy actually being released, um, right, right. you know, for, for the in favorable and unfavorable ways. Um, but that that release of things that have been building for a while being the uh, being a big theme from multiple angles here. Definitely. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah, like for example, with moving, right? With you and I, Kelly, it's not like yeah. somebody just told us we were going to move last week. No, <laughs> you've been looking well. And actually, I was just thinking when you said that, I'm pretty sure that we got the final confirmation around. All of the um, pre-employment checks for both my husband and I, I think that was sort of January that we got the final, yes, this is a go. Um, everybody has passed all the, you know, checks that needed to happen. So it, that idea of almost things being triggered back in January or confirmed or, or foreshadowed then now taking place. Um, as we get to the, if you, I love what you've been saying throughout the show today, Austin, around, this is the first time we're having an eclipse season where both eclipses are triggering the cancer Capricorn axis. Um, because in some ways the January eclipse period was like one foot in the past, one foot in the future, because we had a Capricorn eclipse and we had a Leo eclipse. Yeah, And very, so this, this is themes. very different. This is way more intense, same axis, same pair of signs, same pair of houses. It's like the main show now. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the big show. And remember that this isn't the last installment in the big show. No, right? it's like That's, the first of a three-act play or something. 
Yeah, well, the uh, the uh, the year will end and begin on the same note, right? Because our next uh, our next pair of eclipses are going to be during the holidays. Just for more fun. <laughs> Literally, December twenty sixth is the next. Well, or one. December twenty fifth, if you live in the states. Uh oh yeah. Yeah, no, it's literally a solar eclipse on Christmas. I just got done um, doing yeah, the, the six months second, ahead yeah, with Gordon yeah. a few days ago. Oh, yeah, it's 5 a.m. So, oh, my God, it is December 25th in North America. Which, as I said then, I will just reaffirm that if you want to give birth to the Antichrist, <laughs> a solar eclipse on Christmas would be, that would be like, that's literally as good as it's ever going to get. A solar eclipse that's on the south node on Christmas. Yeah, when the, when the light is supposed to return and then the, the, the sun itself is stained, like that's it's glorious. Blocked. Oh anyway. my goodness. So we, we probably should have gotten started a, a month or two ago if we were going to yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. Right. You'd have to already be pregnant we, for this. Yeah, thing we missed the electional window. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry, um, good. Jumping ahead. Point being that this is this is an installment in a series that does yes. this is an installment in a series. This is not the end of the series. That's a very good point. This is a family show, and you guys are yeah. like collecting charts for the, the birth of the Antichrist. Well, Austin is. I'm not claiming. Well, that. but I didn't tell people in time to actually, you know, That's get true. pregnant. So it's a. It's I a suppose there thing. is a time to schedule a C-section for those of you already expecting. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay, so where are we? We've got the Mars Uranus square. Trying to get us back on track here. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, Moon Jupiter? Do you want to? Do we want to give a quick shout out to like a happy day in July? Sure. Is that that's just before the lunar eclipse, right? Yeah. Just. Yep. I think the thirteenth, Austin, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah I mean. As I think we've said before, both privately and publicly, yeah, um, you know, you can kind of fake it as an electional astrologer this year if you just tell people to do stuff while the moon's conjunct Jupiter once a month, right. um, and get pretty great results. Yeah, because it's not just Jupiter in Sag is a great place for Jupiter; it's also that it's off axis from the malefics for most of the year. That's and the key: the off axis and. I know there are some complications with Mars at the start of the month with the Mercury retrograde, but Mars is now off axis of the meat grinder. Yeah, thank God. Which is, I know there is meat grinder phase two, but I'm very happy about Mars getting into Leo. Yeah, me too. I'd just rather not have it sitting on my ascendant. Yeah, well, totally, totally. But this is happy days. Well, not anymore, but it was happy happy day uh, in the month. There we go. So that's a weekend uh you know in the middle of july basically yeah and that is not the main election that we selected this month the main elections a few days later but i could introduce that now if we want sure that's a good idea you you got your election will not have the moon in capricorn i'm guessing no we skipped that and we did the other moon in a jupiter ruled sign day which is july 20th 2019 Let's see. It looks like it's around 4.55 p.m. in whatever your location is. Just set the chart for around just before 5 p.m. with uh, Sagittarius rising. So if you do that, you should end up with the ascendant roughly somewhere around the middle of Sagittarius, and therefore Jupiter will be on the ascendant or just below the ascendant, and it will be a day chart because the sun is up in Cancer in the 8th house. 
So in this chart, it has Sagittarius rising with Jupiter in Sagittarius, uh, roughly conjunct the ascendant, and the moon is in Pisces at around 12-ish degrees of Pisces in the fourth whole sign house, and the moon is actually applying to uh, a square with Jupiter with reception, which increases the um, relationship and the mm. positiveness of the aspect with Jupiter because the moon is in Jupiter's sign. So this is a good Jupiter election. Um, we are still dealing with Jupiter being retrograde. It's still, I think, about three weeks from stationing direct. So that's one of the main drawbacks. But otherwise, it's a day chart. So Jupiter's of the sect in favor. It's not afflicted by Mars or uh, Saturn. If anything, there's a nice applying trine with Mars, where Mars is at 12 degrees of Leo, applying to a trine with Jupiter, which is actually really helping to even out and make Mars much more positive than it would be otherwise. And it's one of the positive things that we start getting into the second half of July and especially August when a lot of the planets start moving into Leo and trining Jupiter, um, which we'll talk about a little bit more, I think, towards the end of this episode. Uh, yeah, this is just a general all around um, good electional chart for Jupiter related things. Um, it's not specifically sort of focused on any one thing necessarily. It might be good for fourth house activities related to the home and living situation, since Jupiter is ruling the fourth house and the moon is also placed there. So there's some definite emphasis on fourth house activities, um, but it would just be a good general purpose chart uh, for the most part. Yeah, so there is a bunch of eighth house stuff. We tried to mitigate that by here in Denver placing the mid degree of the midheaven sextiling to the sun and Mercury to help it out of that eighth house position. That may or may not be possible in your location, depending on what city you're in. But if you can do that, just make sure that the chart has Sagittarius rising with the midheaven roughly sextiling or aspecting the Cancer planets in order to help them out of that eighth house uh, position. Uh, yeah, what do you guys think? That's a very juicy moon, Jupiter. Yeah, um, that's good stuff. And it's and it's also worth noting that that's after the second eclipse, mm. right? Uh, it's um, just, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I mean, uh, it's a good window this month. You know, it's not it's not the easiest pickings, um, but that's yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and that was the biggest issue that we ran into was it's kind of a tough month, obviously, for electional charts, especially in the first part of the month, early in July, when Mercury stationing retrograde and it's conjunct Mars and all that other stuff. So some of the better elections are definitely later in the month once we start to get uh, clear of some of that, especially halfway through the Mercury retrograde cycle when the when Mercury catches up to the sun, mm -hmm. and then you're almost getting to the second half of the retrograde when it starts to station direct. Yeah. Anyway, so nice that is the job. electional chart for this month. Uh, we found three other electional charts uh, in various places, which we're going to talk about on the Auspicious Elections podcast, which is available to patrons on the $5 and $10 tiers. All you have to do is sign up to become a patron through our page on Patreon in order to get access to those, and I'll save the rest for that podcast. Yeah, nice job on the Midheaven degree with the uh, sextiles of the Sun and Mercury. Yeah, that's such an important mitigating factor, and it's very underutilized. But that's often when planets in difficult houses, like the 8th or the 12th or the 6th, manifest positively. It's when there's a mitigating factor, like the midheaven being closely configured to them. And then you'll see the more positive or constructive manifestations of those houses. I think that's going to be one of my talks at ESAR next year, is 
just mitigating conditions in general in traditional astrology. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that I feel like not enough people know because they're all like, oh, it's in the eighth house or it's in the sixth house. And I'm like, yeah, but it's conf- it's sextile or trying the midheaven degree. We're good. You got right. something so to did do. Y'all, um, do y'all know what you're speaking about at ISAR next year? Do you have that locked in? No. Okay. The, not I think completely. The yeah, deadline was Friday, which yeah. I forgot completely about and got a very helpful reminder email uh, to help me get it in on time. Uh, but I haven't heard back yet as to what they've picked. I think they, they may. St- have you guys heard yet? No, I, no. I yeah, I just uh, that's fresh in my mind because I was I was dog sick and I was like, oh, but I got to get this in because they said we want two talks, submit three and we'll pick two. Did you actually submit? Yeah. 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 Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, see, my three were. Um, yeah, tell us one, what you submitted, Austin. So the one that, well, the one that I initially submitted, I resubmitted, which was um, uh, looking at the different styles of planetary oration or conjuration, comparing the Picatrix, the Higramantia, and what Agrippa suggests in the three books of occult philosophy as far as planetary magic goes. That was the first one. Yep. The second one was looking at the very specific combinations which are present in firmicus through the eyes of uh yogas mm-hmm. um like you you know looking at them through vedic astrology eyes and then the third one was looking at the the timing systems that are the same for everybody um as opposed to like zodiacal releasing but looking at like how everybody is in a sixth house perfection at yes. age 29 um, yep. The Saturn return, the exact Saturn return happens the same year. Um, and then also extending that out to things like um, uh, uh, Parashara's Nisargika Dasha or the the natural ages of the planets that you see in Ptolemy, where it's like yep. everybody's in a moon time lord period when you're one year old, one years old, one yeah. year old, right? So oh, just that looking super at like, interesting. yeah, what's the same for everybody? And then we build... Um, what's different and individual on top of what's the same. So yeah, I yeah I, I'd be happy to give any two out of those three. So we'll see. That's which fantastic. Ones they pick. Which they go for. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, it's you really got to put your thinking cap on when you're coming up with talk topics. I know in the the notes that Esau was very specific about. You know, we want material that you haven't presented before and. Um, one of the topics uh, that I submitted as a lecture topic option was um, on the terms, the Egyptian terms of the planets. Um, some of the work that just with the focus on career teaching that I've been doing, I did an online class on career, which is still available online, but it really got me looking at the term ruler of the midheaven ruling planet. Mm-hmm. Have a think about that. And uh so often when that midheaven ruling planet is in its own terms, it is like this instant um, success indicator. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the role of planets in their own terms or or the terms of things like the ascendant degree and things like that. Well, that was one of my talk options. They may not choose it. Uh, yeah. I like that. So it's a little bit obscure but relatively accessible uh, once you've got the term table kind of at hand. Chris, are you selling these um, or do you just give them away free occasionally? 
they were in the first set of posters a year ago. They were one of the things that came with the posters. I've just been giving them to students of my Hellenistic course and trying to get rid of them. Why okay. do you ask? Well, they're really good. Yeah. Um, uh, no, like, Paula Bellomini designed that with me. Yeah. Uh, there's a funny typo on it, though, actually, uh, which is my, my fault because it's carried over from a previous table of essential dignities. You'll notice not all planets uh, have falls in that listing. One of the planets never fall is at it. missing. It's Mer- oh, Mercury. Mercury's not there. That's really funny. Yeah, <laughs> the, the one typo is about Mercury's fall. Yeah, I omitted Mercury's fall in Pisces. So. Oh, that is so true to type. I mean, Mercury, you know, gets so beat up in Pisces from a technical perspective. I think that's hilarious. Yeah, I've actually got to decide decide pretty soon whether I'm doing posters again next year because we've got to like get moving with getting those into print. Um, I keep lowering the price of the other posters to get rid of the rest of what Amazon has in stock, and I'm hoping to get rid of the rest of those in the next month or two, and then decide about doing posters again. Okay. Super exciting. Yeah. Um, so where are we up to? In that we have we done? The, have we just tried to ignore the the lunar eclipse? No, yeah, we, kind of we s- talked. We talked about that a fair amount. Um, okay. But um, so I mean, just to get back on a chronological sequence. Yeah. Right. So July is solar eclipse in Cancer, Mercury, and then Mercury's station conjunct Mars square Uranus. Right. We talked about that. And then um, on the way, a funny thing happened on the way to the lunar eclipse. Um, and that was, um, that was Venus having to go through an extremely rough patch of sky. Um, Venus in the meat right. grinder. Yeah, Venus has to oppose Saturn, conjoin the North Node, and oppose uh, Pluto um, before uh, Venus is unharassed. Um, it's weird that that so, happens right around the time of the lunar eclipse. It's like the lunar eclipse happens at 24 Capricorn, and pretty much the same day Venus is opposing Saturn from 16 Cancer to 16 Cap. Yeah, yes. and and will and you know and will have been applying tightly for the the days leading up to it. Um, and you know, whenever you have Venus uh, bundled with a lot of malefics, it's um, it strains social relations, and it's often just difficult to find your joy. You know, you're like, who, who stole my joy? Where'd they hide yeah. it? Um, and that's, you know, that's a temporary thing, but, um, you know, it makes it, it makes it harder to find harmony between yourself and other people. It, um, it makes it more difficult to enjoy what there is to enjoy. You know, I'm sure we've all had the experience where you sit down and you're like, well, that was a hard day. You're like, I'm going to watch a thing on my, you know, my screen that usually pleases you, pleases me. And you look at it and you're like, this is stupid. And it's something you usually like. You're just like, yeah, they, you know, um, it's that kind of mood. Uh, Venus, Venus with Saturn and Pluto and the nodes. It's just that kind of, it's hard to, it's hard to just relax and enjoy things. And it's hard to like find that common ground with people. Yeah, that aspect of Saturn is really interesting. That idea of like rejecting and being highly critical, like there's a highly critical side of Saturn that's often, I don't want to say overlooked, but it's such a core um, component of, of Saturn's meaning that it's not discussed as much as I would almost think like it, it should be on some level, um, because it leads to a number of the other manifestations of Saturn that often get more play. But at the core of that is this like highly critical and sometimes like self-critical 
um, sort of facet of the whole archetype. Yeah, there's a very like eh, quality to Saturn. Saturn, would you like to watch this show? Eh. Saturn, what did you think of that movie? Eh. Right, nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's good enough. Yeah, there's that very hard task mascot. This could have been done better. That should have been like this. It's not you, the perfect set of circumstances. You know, you know, Chris. Now that you bring it up, I think that is discussed in the context of people relating to authority figures when people talk about saturn as relating to a person's uh relating to a person's interactions with um authority figures or father figures and being reject feeling rejected or judged by the person mm -hmm. who's playing the role of that saturn mm -hmm. um but that's it's usually that quality is usually sort of confined to that context and i agree that it exists in a variety of other contexts as well yeah I mean, I've seen it. I saw it recently in a person's chart manifest in like a third house placement as an inability to release or to publish to um, yeah to publish something over the span of a person's lifetime because it was never good enough and because they had such high expectations for themselves that they never were able to put stuff out there because they're always too highly critical of themselves as well as others. As a third house Saturn native, I can relate to okay. that. <laughs> right. Well, you've got a day chart at least, so it's like a little bit mitigated in that it's not the worst case scenario where, for example, you published like your 36 Deccans book, for example, versus like putting it off for 20 years because it was never good enough or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. There, I mean, in having Mercury in the 10th. Um, makes it easier in Jupiter in the first. Um, sure, but right. but I can relate to that. I, I definitely feel like I'm when it comes to letting go or putting out material. I'm I am driving with the parking brake on. That makes mm. sense. Like there is yeah. that resistance that I experience every single time, um, or maybe nine only ninety percent of the time. And I can see how if I didn't have the the thing the planets that were hitting the gas pedal that that would just be a no. For me. Mm. Right. Yeah. And driving with the parking brake on is also a manifestation of the Mars Saturn opposition as well, and is a great analogy for that uh that aspect. Um, but there's another aspect of Saturn that's tied in with this, which is a inability to bring things to completion due to just just not. And inaction is actually being a signification of Saturn that goes all the way back to Valens. Yeah, Vedius Valens gives inaction. Or not taking action as a signification of Saturn, which is interesting to think about because at, at first, like I would read through that and not really grasp what that meant. But seeing the idea of inaction manifest in people's lives in the house that it's placed in is interesting to see from time to time, especially in extreme uh, scenarios or circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the so one of the things I've Come to appreciate from um, from doing the Vedic program, just you know, getting to know all the planets, the same planets but from a slightly different angle, mm. um, is the quality of being tamasic, of sluggish, slow, prone to inaction, et cetera, et cetera, is one of the primary qualities um, which is associated with Saturn, um, and you know, which a lot of uh, Indian Saturn delineations come from. And so it starts. It just starts with that that slow and prone to inaction, um, and I think that's a, a good a good rather than 
So causing delays or highlighting obstacles also gets us to a place of not being able to move forward. Um, but it's, you know, it's looking at pieces of the environment rather than the qual then starting with the quality of the planet. Yeah. And and you can obviously there's both positive ways that, that can manifest positively in action, like, you know, thinking things through ahead of time instead of just leaping into, you know, action right away, but instead thinking things out and and only proceeding when the moment is right, once you've built up a sufficient amount of like planning and like wisdom about the issue at hand versus the other thing, which is, you know, failing to act when you should and maybe regretting in retrospect that you didn't put yourself out there when it would have been appropriate to do so and sort of missing the moment. So there can be that idea Mm -hmm. of inaction can have a positive or a negative manifestation. But I think that might be a good keyword here for this um this lunar eclipse taking place in Capricorn, where you have that that focus on that Capricorn energy and you have Venus opposing Saturn at the same time. Yeah, well, so with this one, um uh I I I see I've been thinking about it very much in terms of clearing out, because you have that South Node and Pluto right there too. And so there's I would say it points very strongly and very clearly to what is obstructing movement and compressing your space. And again, this is the lunar complement to the solar eclipse which began the year. Um, and so I think the you know the the move action here or what this is going to highlight is that is again that that clearing out, that making space, that reconciling with the past. Uh, to the point where you can then let it go, you know right. whether it's positive, negative, or otherwise. Um, but it does. It starts with that inability to move, the not having enough space to move, the like you know the boulder in the road, whatever it is. Yeah, that's a really good point. Tying it back into that beginning and that foundation that was set in January, and something being brought to completion at this time that was initiated then six months earlier. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. It's definitely, I mean, being a lunar eclipse so close to the south node, it does have that sort of feeling of just emptying and clearing and purging the idea that things are going out of your life, maybe rather than coming into it. Some of those things you're ready to let go of and some of those things it may be a case of it's got to go now whether you're ready for it or not. Yeah, or this might, yeah, and this might, this eclipse might be a necessary part of a process that puts you in a place where you can actually let go of it during the next go when the sun's in Capricorn and eclipsed near the south node. Six months, yeah. Yeah. Um, so January. Let me uh let me get just give an example. Um uh so my uh, back to um back to my grandma. I know I talk about my grandma all the time now, <laughs> but it's it's relevant to these transits. Um so uh, as as I said, there was a clearing out of her house to put it on the market, and it's going to go on the market in July. And that house um, is where that entire side of the family would gather for every family thing that's happened since I've been born. Um, and so it's there's a ton of history there. It's not just because some closets haven't been cleaned since nineteen you know eighty four. Um, it's that like that that was the place where that side of the family happened. And so that's going on the market, that's going, you know, that's leaving, right? And it's it's 
it's a space, you know, it's, um, it's a thing that is disappearing, right? It's, it's a presence that has been there that is not going to be there at all uh, in the future. And that that's, you know, it, my guess, it'll probably sell right around that time too, but it's going on the market during this period of time. And no one, of course, asked me about timeframes, but that just happens to be, you know, when, um, when it's scheduled for a disappearance from, I don't know, 15 different people's lives uh, yeah. for whom it's been a fixture uh, for at least five of them since 1960. Wow. That's so significant. Yeah. Yeah. So and, go ahead, sorry. Kelly. I was just going to say just on the Venus Saturn thing, which as you guys were talking about, just comes right after the lunar eclipse. It's mm. definitely highlighting that almost tug of heart with through the opposition yeah. series there. And I always find Venus Saturn, it sort of highlights the work of partnership or collaboration rather than the fun and the joy of it. Um, so it's that idea of the hard yards or the showing up when you don't want to or having to say no when you really want to say yes. Uh, and the idea of sometimes in the Venus Saturn opposition, sometimes I see that it's external factors that limits, like you might want to, and they might want to, but one of you has this work thing or this family thing that just has to take precedence at that particular time. So it's, there's a lot of, um, juggling or delaying, like not now, but maybe later type of energy, I think through this middle part of the month. I think that's a really good point. Um, Venus Saturn stuff always brings uh, or always has the capability of bringing up boundary issues mm. within relationships, right? Like what are, what are, what are you expected to do? Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but you know, all relationships have a degree of expectation. A hundred percent. And what of those expectations is reasonable? What was reasonable, but needs to be renegotiated. Mm -hmm. um, now that I think about it, you know, with, the Saturn Venus opposition taking place on the nodal axis and mm -hmm. with Pluto present, there'll probably be mm, a necessary update or rethinking of, um, you know, who does what and why. Yeah. Right. Who's going to be know, responsible for what because circumstances have changed now and the old patterns are no longer kind of relevant. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Circumstances have changed. Right. Like, oh, you know, two years ago, you decided you do this and I do this because we were there. Mm -hmm. And now that we're here, oh, it makes sense for you to do that now and I'll take over this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that's true on like a really obvious chores level, but also, you know, on a deeper level, you know, on an mm -hmm. emotional dynamics level. Yeah. So I think that by the time we get to around July 21st, um, things start clearing up a little bit and we start moving into what seems to me like the somewhat easier phase of this month and we start moving out of the more difficult phase uh, because we have the Sun-Mercury conjunction. So Mercury hits the halfway point through its retrograde cycle at 28 degrees of Cancer on July 21st. Uh, so it's getting towards the easier half of the retrograde cycle rather than the more turbulent half that was around the time of the retrograde station conjunct Mars. Um, also, Mars at this point is starting to get pretty close to that trine with Jupiter. So Mars is at 12 degrees of Leo by July 21st, applying to Jupiter at 15 degrees of Sag, and that'll complete just a few days later around, looks like July 24th, July 25th, when we mm -hmm. have an exact Mars-Jupiter trine. 
Venus also finally clears not just the opposition with Saturn, but it clears the opposition with Pluto around July 20th, July 21st. It goes um, exact in opposition from 21 Cancer to Pluto at 21 Capricorn. So it finally gets free of all of that by this point. I, I would um, put the free of all that um, a few days later. It's 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 departing rather than applying, but it's still within a few degrees. And when the moon in uh, late, uh, uh, when the moon goes through late Leah or uh, late Aries. late Aries, there, yeah. it's going to be it's the, the moon is going to carry the light or the darkness um, from the rough stuff in Cap right to Venus. I would say that that's the the finishing it out, figuring it out, and that by the time we get to the moon in Taurus, then it'll actually feel like we're kind of done with that. Just a slight sure. adjustment. Sure. And right around that same time, it looks like we have the beginning of uh, Leo season, and the moon or the sun moves into Leo, July twenty second, July twenty third. Uh, the sun goes into zero degrees of Leo, so it starts. Again, moving out of that whole opposition by sign with Saturn and Pluto and conjunction with the node, and starts moving into this lovely trine with Jupiter, which will eventually culminate and go exact in August. Um, yeah, so basically, just things start freeing up by this point later in the month, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's some untangling to do, but the, the sun's movement into Leo is a big step. Yeah, if you're looking for sort of one thing to kind of be aiming for, the sun into Leo is definitely a huge shift. And then, yeah, as you guys have talked about, the Mars-Jupiter aspect starts to form and Mercury retrograde is still retrograde, but instead of having to do some of the more difficult configurations, it's now going to be backing into the arms of Venus, if you like, and we get the Mercury-Venus conjunction around the 24th. So just as the moon comes through um, that tail end of can of Aries, sorry, you know, going into Taurus, and then Mercury and Venus come together. Uh, oh yeah, that's nice. Which is just you know there is untangling to your point, Austin, for sure. But Mercury Venus is going to help bring a bit of ease or a sense of let's try and work together. Uh, you know, even if we have to go over old news. So it looks like that's July 24th that Mercury conjoins Venus? Yeah. Okay. And that's the same time that the moon moves into Taurus, as Austin was talking about. Um, then eventually, it looks like by July 28th, Venus also moves into Leo and gets out of that whole Cancer-Capricorn axis. And not too long after that, Mercury, of course, uh, stations direct, basically on the last day of the month. Which is also the same day that there's a the next lunation, which is a new moon in Leo, right? And a non-eclipsed lunation. That. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, um, if I had to just pick one date for when is the when is Meek Grinder Phase One, Two, whatever, um, officially and fully over, it's that new moon. Yeah, you know, we're we're wrapping up for the week uh, coming up on that new moon, but that new moon really recenters things. Um, both in and of itself, and because we get Mercury direct, and because we've got Venus um, in Leo by that time, and yeah. then that that sets the stage for August and the Festival of Superior Conjunctions. Yes, there's a lot going on uh, in August, which is cool. 
But it's yeah. very different. Like by the time we get to the end of July, the cosmic dark tunnel, we're all out of it. No, it'll be, uh, I mean, if anything, it's uh, absurdly bright. Yes. And it, it's quite a contrast, isn't it? We go from being in the tunnel to being in the full bright warmth of the sun. Yeah. And all the planets getting, you know, being combusted. And, yes. you know, being fully exposed to the sun while the sun's in Leo, no less. Purified, full strength. Yeah, and all trining Jupiter, all running into that trine from Jupiter in mi- the middle of Sagittarius. Yeah. yeah. As Jupiter stations direct. Yes. Right. So we're pretty early in August. I think in the second week of August, Jupiter stations direct in mid-Sagittarius. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it's a very... Uh, yeah, there's just a ton of contrast between the the winding tunnel um, and then the, I don't know, solar exposure <laughs> on the other side of it. Mm. Yeah, the darkness to the light, uh, it is. So we, we've just got a couple more weeks to get to these transitions. And yeah, so it's sort of the, the whole last 10 days of July is transitioning into that brighter period as the planets start to escape Cancer and Capricorn. Right. Brilliant. Well, that is then part two of the meat grinder. And um, yeah, that, that sort of bookends really nicely. That doesn't usually happen. Like Usually the astrological calendar does not overlap very cleanly with the you know, whatever arbitrary human calendar of August, July, whatever, September. But this month or this year, it seems like there's a nice little alignment of things where it falls pretty nicely at the end of the month, sort of wrapping things up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it really does. So yeah, if you're thinking seasonally, like the summer in the Northern Hemisphere, July, August, or winter if you're in Australia, July versus August is, is very different, astrologically speaking. Sure. All right. Yeah. Well, it seems like that brings us then to the end of our forecast for for July of 2019. Yeah. Uh, Any final points to make before we wrap up this episode? Um, I don't think so. I feel like that was really complete. Like it's almost like full stop. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I mean that's a nice point to end on since there's obviously a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. There's still some things to get through, and certainly some people have already been through some challenging stuff on a you know different scales of like minor annoyances or you know me and Austin getting colds and to you know other extreme manifestations yeah. that have been more challenging. Uh, but it's nice that uh, and and while there's still some stuff coming up that's a little bit rocky or could present some unexpected disruptions. Um, you know, it's just another month that's going to take place in everybody's lives. And then there's some other stuff that's going to happen that's that'll probably balance things out in a more positive way just afterwards. So there's definitely something to look forward to as always. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. All right. Well, if that's it, then then I guess we got to close down this episode. Uh, good luck to both of you in relocating over the course of the next month. I'm really excited to see what your backgrounds look like when we check in again <laughs> next month. Um, yeah, I guess no we'll more actually cathedral ceiling, Austin. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss your cathedral looking like pyramid type structure, Austin. Yeah, me too. Me too. We'll see what I can do with the next place. I hope the skeleton is uh, relocated 
favorite oh, yeah, too. Yeah. I actually yeah. run a skeleton relocation charity. <laughs> of course you do. And Kelly, I hope you can bring the flowers with you. I know. I just like I'm gonna have to find a flower stall in uh in Europe. I mean I've heard the tulips are amazing in the spring, so Yeah. Um yeah, stay tuned for what flowers I get supplied with. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking forward to that. Good luck, both of you. And I guess we'll record the next episode towards the end of July. So we'll, be, we'll basically be coming out of all of that by then. So that's kind of nice. The sun yeah, will be, be in good. Leo, actually, by the time we record. Yeah, we'll have some good stories, hopefully. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Thanks to all the patrons, as usual, for supporting this, because I wouldn't be able to do any of this without you guys and for supporting that trip and all the documentary-style interviews that I'm shooting. I'm starting to expand what I'm doing in terms of all of that and shooting interviews um, with astrologers just based on that support. So uh, if you want to become a patron of the Astrology Podcast, you can find us on Patreon. Patreon. Uh, Austin also has a Patreon. Uh, Kelly, you've also got a subscription uh, Mm -hmm. thing on your website, right? Yes. Yeah, monthly astrology subscription. Yeah. Yeah, and Austin, you've got a monthly uh, sort of like almanac and forecast, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, the dailies that I put out every day through social media um, are all written ahead of time, and members of my Patreon all get uh, the entire month ahead of time, so they can do scheduling and do do their electing. Awesome. Yeah, I really love how things have shifted in that way, where content creators and astrologers who are putting out content like that's how you support people whose work that you appreciate and you want them to keep doing more of it by becoming a patron or becoming a subscriber and in in exchange you get access to bonus stuff. So uh, all three of us do that and thanks to everybody who who does support us uh, by doing that. Thanks to all the patrons who attended this episode. I think there's like 40 people who attended the live taping of this episode and it's been lovely having all of you here chatting during the process of it. Um, yeah, and yeah. I guess we'll be back again next month. We will. All right, great. Well, thanks everyone for listening or watching, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.